Thank you for listening to this sermon from Renaissance Church located in Montreal, Quebec. For more information about Renaissance Church, please visit our website, renaissancemtl.com. If you would like to know more about how you can partner up to see the gospel advance in Montreal, please send us an email at renaissance.mtl at gmail.com. as we hear from God's Word and continue to worship the music after that. Um, again, glad to be together this morning. Glad you're here with us. If you're watching online, glad you're with us. I think maybe hopefully you can hear better than that. Sorry about that. It's one of those things. The thing we did last week worked well. We did the same thing this week, but it didn't work. So I don't know. This is life, right? Um, so anyways, um, glad you are with us. If you have your Bible, turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 15. Um, if you don't have a Bible with you, it will be on the screen, and we'll read that together here in a moment. Um, and so as we continue our study of Ephesians, we turn our attention this morning to the very practical aspects of how our faith impacts our life at home. So we're going to start in verse 15, which is a little bit of an overlap from last week, what Graham covered last week, but it's important for the context because Paul is writing to the Christians in Ephesus, and he says, we're going to read, he says, be filled with the Spirit. And so one of the results of being filled with the Spirit is the people in the church submitting to one another. He says that in the, what Graham read last week, it says, he says to the church, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so that context goes immediately into our next section here. And the context is that, that both marriage and parenting here flow out of what Paul already said. We fill with the Spirit, submit to one another. And so he's connecting these two things together. And so, talking about marriage and parenting, uh, and there's a lot here to, to go through, so we're going to get started. So he's showing us how our relationships should look for people whose lives have been changed by Jesus. Now let me say up front. I'm not going to get to every aspect of this passage today. There's a lot here. Uh, I told Abby yesterday I was actually a little bit like frustrated because I was working through the passage. I knew where I wanted to go, but I was like, how do I get everything in that I want to say? And I was like, I recently listened to like six different Tim Keller sermons where he preached a series all on this one passage. So I'm trying to do in one week what Tim Keller, who I am not Tim Keller, did in like six weeks. So, anyways, it's not going to get to it. In fact, in fact, you might walk away this morning being like, I actually have more questions. And that's okay. Like, talk to us, talk to me, let's have a conversation, because I'm not going to get to everything, um, and we're not going to cover it. But I'm going to do my best with that. Secondly, you might be in the room, and you may not be married, or you may not have kids. Don't tune out today, right? You're not excluded. This is them preaching to you as well. Obviously, Paul wrote this to these people, and he was dealing specifically with marriage and family, but the letter was written to the entire church, and so that's important to know. It's specifically addressing married people and children and parents, but it's written to the church, so you're not excluded from that as well, so you can't just like tune out and go on Instagram while I preach. You can, I guess, but just don't tell me. Right, so the, the final thing before I start reading, right? Uh, maybe you might be here today, or maybe you're watching online, and as soon as I start reading and I get to the phrase, wives submit to your husbands, you might kind of raise one eyebrow and lean back and be like, hey, where are we going with this? Like, what's happening here, right? So, this will be, you might say, this will be interesting, but hang with me. Um, and it, honestly, 
but here's the deal. If you don't like it, it's not my words. It's scripture, and we're going to roll with it and see how our lives can match up with what Jesus says, what God says. Um, so, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15, starting in verse 15, and we're going to go to chapter 6 from verse 4. All right, so it says, Paul writes, Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not, and do not get drunk with wine, that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as, the church, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Let's pray again as we enter into this this morning. God, would you give us wisdom? to understand your word. We ask that your spirit would, would bring your word to life in our hearts. God, I pray that we wouldn't just listen um, and walk away, but that we would say, God, how can we obey you in light of what you have So Lord, speak to us this morning. We commit this time to you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we've got a lot here, a lot to go through. We'll, we'll do our best to get to it. So, uh, I was thinking about, like, how we want to talk about this. I thought about our phones, right? Our phones are pretty good at giving directions, right? If you're driving or if you're taking an Uber, it's pretty efficient to be able to get where you're going. And sometimes I think about, like, how did we get places 30 years ago? Unfold a map that you can't really fold back and, you know, whatever. Um, but I, it's like I can't even remember that now. I'm just like, where is it? Oh, you get there easily, right? So a few weeks ago, um, Abby and I went on a date to celebrate our 13th wedding anniversary, and we decided to take an Uber. Um, and so the driver was following his maps. Abby and I were sitting in the back, obviously, because that'd be weird if I had sat in the front and Abby was in the back. That'd be weird, right? So we're sitting there. He's following his maps, and he starts taking a route that I know the road is going to be closed. And I'm sitting there. I tell Abby, like, we can't do this way. And she's like, just fuck. So I'm like, we can't we can't use it. So he keeps going, and he gets all the way there, and he's like, oh, it's close. So he does a U-turn, he comes back, he keeps trying to follow his map. He keeps trying to send him back the other way. And he's like, I'm like about to jump out of my skin. I'm like, he's not, he can't go that way, right? And so, which was fine, but he didn't just like go around. He tried to go back on the same road. And finally I was like, you're not going to go 
<laughs> and so I'm correcting the Uber driver. Um, I'm like, you're gonna have to go here and go here. And he's like, okay, the map says this. I'm like, yeah, it's this, you're gonna have to go. So um, like, I did not want him to listen to the instruction that his phone was giving, right? I wanted to make my own route. I wanted to be like, no, ignore that, go this way, right? Um, and I wanted, actually, I wanted to just be like, let me drive, we'll get there quicker, we'll find Right? See, this is, I didn't say that to you, right? But this is our human nature, right? This is kind of the way that we function. And when we think about these concepts of submission, sacrifice, these things go against our culture. And really, they go against our human nature. They go against our human nature that says, no, 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 I'm the most important thing, and what I want matters the most. And what matters is me kind of preserving myself, making sure I've got everything I need, making sure I feel good. We want to make our own path. We want to make our own route. And these are our default settings as humans, right? This is our simple nature that is self-focused, right? And so we think about marriage and family. These are good things designed by God, but our sinful nature tries to make a new route, ignoring what God has put in place. Our selfishness, our self-centeredness and our pride and all of these things try to rearrange this so that everything around us serves our needs. And in that, we need help. Right? We are broken and sinful to our core. And left to ourselves, we make a mess of even the most important relationships in our lives. So whether you're married, have kids, or not, or anywhere in between, this is true. Like, we live in a culture in the world, and our human nature is self-focused, and we will destroy even the best and most important relationships in our lives if we fight against what God is calling us to do, right? So we need Jesus working in us so that our lives reflect Him, right? The Bible is practical, and it impacts every area of life. It has something to say to you this morning about the relationships in your life. Because God has designed marriage and family in a unique and beautiful way. And so this morning, we want to look at how our homes can point people to Jesus. My main idea this morning, main point is this, is that spirit-filled homes show Jesus to the people around us. So again, maybe you're married, maybe you're not, maybe you have kids, maybe you don't. Your home, your life, I want you to hear that through this lens. Where I live, the people I live with, even though Paul's specifically addressing these situations of marriage and family, your home, and it starts in our own individual lives, spirit-filled homes show Jesus to the people around us. So I have three major things I want to walk through as we look through this. So first point is spirit-filled marriages show a picture of the gospel. Secondly, spirit-filled parenting shows kids a picture of God. And number three is the main point, spirit-filled homes show Jesus to the people around us, right? So we're going to unpack this together. By nature of the passage, this first point will be the longest one, right? So once I get through it and you think I have two more that are also going to be as long, don't fear. It's okay. Don't worry, right? Um, so the first one will be the longest, so you can hang with me. If you start falling asleep, you can finish yourself and keep going, right? So... What's the background here? What's, what, let me reiterate. What did Paul say in verse 15? He says, Live caref look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. And then he says, be filled with the Spirit in verse 18. And then in verse 21, he says, submit to one another. If you go back even further in Ephesians, in, in chapter 5, verse 1, he says, therefore, be imitators of God. So this is the flow of where Paul is going. 
Paul isn't just out of nowhere saying, okay, wives, men, husbands, love your wives, kids, obey. He's saying, first of all, as believers, imitate God. Um, live as people with wisdom in the world. Live as people filled by the Spirit. In the church, submit to one another. And so this flows out of that, and it's all connected. So that everything that Paul says here, husbands and wives, is a natural outflow of the Holy Spirit filling our lives. So, the very, like, as I'm thinking about all this, the very idea of when we push against, when someone pushes against what God's word says here, it actually doesn't show that, like, okay, you just don't want to do that. It shows, no, there's a deeper issue. You are not seeking to imitate God. You are not seeking to be filled with the Spirit. You are not seeking to live with wisdom, to live set apart in the world. Because the natural outflow is that when our lives look like Jesus, when our lives are shaped like Jesus, the natural outflow is that our relationships are impacted by that. Right? When the Holy Spirit fills our lives, we start to live like Jesus. And so Jesus is the model to follow in all of our relationships. You heard as we read through this, you heard these words, submit, sacrifice, nourish, cherish, right? Jesus is the example of these things. Jesus joyfully submitted to God the Father. You see in verse 5, it says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Jesus lovingly and sacrificially gave himself up for humanity. In verses 26 through 29, we see, as Paul continues to talk to the husband, but he ties it back to Jesus. Jesus leads, sanctifies, nourishes, and cherishes us, his church. So Paul says it clearly in verse 32. This passage is about Christ and the church. He tells us that quite clearly, right? And it's meant to remind the Ephesians and us of the gospel, how Christ has sacrificially given himself for the church, his bride, and how we as the church joyfully submit and come under his leadership in our lives. And so again, this morning, if you're not a parent or you're not married, this right here matters because what Paul is communicating to the Ephesians is again and again and again. When you read the book of Ephesians, it is just over and over Paul saying, this is the good news. This is what Jesus has done. This is the gospel. And he brings it in and reiterates it again here. Christ gave himself for us, the church. And we respond by saying, okay, take my life. I'm yours. Paul is painting a picture of the gospel. So what he does, though, is he weaves in marriage as the illustration of the relationship between the church and Jesus. Why? Because we understand the concept of marriage, right? It's a very tangible thing to us. Whether you're not married, you kind of know, like, okay, like, one day if I get married or if I don't, but I, instinct, I kind of instinctively know that marriage requires love, humility, sacrifice, patience, and so on, right? These are the things that make a marriage work and kind of make any relationship work. So when a marriage is functioning as God has designed it, it is a snapshot of the gospel to a watching world. But when I, and I'll speak just of my own life. I know when Abby and I are functioning the way that God wants us to, we are seeking to say, God, we fill us with your spirit, let us love each other humbly, sacrificially, that if people observed us, they could say, man, that's amazing. Like, that doesn't make sense. And it's a picture of what Jesus has done for us. So, 
There's two primary commands that Paul gives in this first segment. The first one is, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. The second one is, husband, love husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Everything else kind of flows from that. So we'll start with the first segment here. So first of all, he says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Let me be clear. Paul doesn't say, women, submit to all men, no matter what. That's not what this passage says. It's talking about the marriage relationship. And so the word submit, we bristle at that a little bit, right, sometimes. But it simply means to arrange under, right? And so it's not an issue of value or equality, but it's an issue of what Paul's getting at here is spirit-filled wives, joyfully, willfully, willingly, not willfully, willingly, placing themselves under spirit-filled husbands, a spirit-filled husband's loving leadership. See how that works? That as the one, as the husband loves the wife like Jesus, sacrificially, that the wife joyfully says, I willingly, joyfully come under your leadership in our home. Right? So, it's a two-way street. One author that I read said this, the wife's submission is but another aspect of love. What does it mean to submit? It is to give oneself up for somebody. What does it mean to love? Same thing. It's to give oneself up for something. And so we look at the language here, submit, sacrifice, all these things, and we kind of push, we can push back a little bit, and yet Paul is simply saying this is the natural order of what God has done. He even gets to that later in, in verse 31, where he says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Paul's going all the way back to the book of Genesis where God invented the idea of marriage. We have Adam and Eve, and God is saying, hey, you guys are going to leave these places, you're going to leave your family, you're going to come together and become one flesh. And so Paul is saying that even in the structure of what God designed and invented, there is a structure of the wife willingly joyfully coming under the leadership of the husband. Um, again, to mention Tim Keller, um, and I would say, I don't necessarily, when we preach often, we don't say, hey, read this book. But I will say this here. There's a book called The Meaning of Marriage by Tim Keller. If you are married or you want to be married one day, it is a very, very good book. Incredible book. I highly recommend it. Um, but he's, he, I love how he put this. He said, we see a picture of the husband and wife having equal value, yet having different roles within the marriage. You might compare it to a slow dance. I'm not a slow dancer. not a fan, right? I'm just going to say it front. I don't know if anyone here is a slow dancer, but... I am not, but he says you might compare it to a slow dance. One person, lead, one person leads and one follows. One initiates and the other responds. Both are necessary for the dance to happen, and when both fulfill their roles well, it is a beautiful thing to behold. That's debatable, Tim Keller, right? Slow dancing is just kind of not my thing, right? As much as I dislike slow dancing, I love that image. But he's helping us see this isn't like you're, you know, the man is here, the wife is here, and he has all control and power, and that's not the picture. That is a broken picture of what God has designed. The picture that God has designed is equality and value in the home with the husband and the wife functioning in different roles, right? The same way that a slow dance requires the two components working together. It's a great picture of what Paul is getting at here. So the first command is, wives, submit to your husband. He says, as to the Lord, right? It starts with you as wives in the room. It starts with you saying, God, my life belongs to you. I submit my life to you, right? Because ultimately, as humans, if we can't do that, 
that we're missing the point of the gospel. We're missing what God is calling us to, right? Because following God is to give up everything to follow him, to submit our lives to him. And so he says, as to the Lord, because God has designed and arranged the husbands to leave the home with it in a spiritual sense. He goes on to say, as the church submits to Christ, so wives should submit in everything to their husbands, right? It says submit in everything. It doesn't mean no matter what, always do what he says, right? Uh, it's a better way to say that is in every area of life, right? Because there are many scenarios where a husband or a man could be not functioning the way that God has designed him to and could be living in a sinful way. And I don't think that in those moments, the wife does not just say, I'll do whatever because all of this works when we are submitted to the Lord and filled with the Spirit, right? So this is the call to wives. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, right? In the same way that Christ leads his people to be more like himself. Look at verses 26 and 27. He says, um, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. This is what Jesus does for us, right? He cleanses us, he sanctifies us, he washes us to present us to God. So, husbands, in the same way that Jesus does that, we are to lovingly lead our wives towards Jesus as we pursue Jesus ourselves. We should be spiritually and emotionally involved with our wives, listening to them, encouraging them, reminding them of God's goodness and faithfulness, right? I need Abby to remind me of God's goodness and faithfulness. Abby needs me to remind her of that because we've all got our own amount of crazy in our lives, right? We need that person saying, hey, you're forgetting God's goodness for you. You're forgetting that God provides. You're forgetting God's faithfulness, right? And so we each have a role of encouraging. And so husbands, lead your wives spiritually. Learn from them. We should lead our homes, husbands, we should lead our homes in a way where we daily point our families to Jesus as the source of joy, hope, and life. A great question that I read this week about this segment is this. Right, if you're a husband, you might want to write this down. Right? Husbands, is your wife more like Christ because she's married to you? That is a good question, right? Or is she like Christ in spite of it? <laughs> because, of course, the wife, every, every wife has the, the spiritual responsibility to submit to the Lord, to pursue the Lord. But as we think about what I think Paul's trying to get to, Husbands, is your wife more like Christ because she's married to you? Or is she like Christ in spite of you? Husband, you are to give selfless love to your wife. Verse 28 points to that, right? In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Now that seems selfish, right? Hey, I love my wife, so then I loved myself, right? That's, but that's not what Paul is pointing at here, because he, he gives us this analogy of the physical body. He's like, in the same way that you care for your own body, think about your own body, right? He says, verse 29, we nourish and cherish our bodies, right? Guys in the room, we might not admit it, but we do, right? We spend plenty of time, you know, making sure everything's right and being like, okay, I, 
I think I look good, or whatever, right? So, Paul, Paul is saying, hey, in the same way that you nourish and cherish and care for your own body, care for your wife that way, right? Imagine if you got a splinter in your hand. You wouldn't ignore it, right? That would bug you. That would really bother you. You would take care of it. You would take care of your own physical body. So Paul is saying, in the same way, husbands, care for your wives, right? Because when you are caring for your wife, you're caring for, I mean, what did Jesus say? Love your neighbor as yourself. Right? And this is a simple application of Jesus saying that in the most intimate setting of our marriage. Paul is saying, love and care for your wives. And there's a reality. When we do that, like, it just makes everything function better in the home. Right? When the wife knows, I'm loved, I'm cherished, I'm cared for. It's better for everyone involved, right? So Jesus has given himself for us. And we respond by placing our lives in his hands. And when it functions the way that God has designed, marriage is a picture of the gospel. Right? See what Jesus is getting at here? Christ has given himself for the church. And so we surrender. We give ourselves back to him. As he loves us sacrificially, we hand our lives to him. It's a picture of the gospel. If you're here this morning and you're single, right, your life, I want you to hear this, your life in humble submission to Jesus is just as much a picture of the gospel. There's not levels here. There's not levels of like, well, if you're married, then you're more a picture of the gospel. No, there's not levels. It's no less than any married person. As you live your life and Christ has worked in you and pulled you out of darkness and into light, and as you submit and imitate God and live with wisdom and are filled with God's spirit, your life is a picture of the gospel, right? Marriage is God's design. It's a good thing. But marriage is not the ultimate goal and aim of life. In fact, for many people, you may, like, God, singleness is God's plan sometimes. And maybe you're like, no, please, I don't want that, right? I don't know. But marriage is not like once you get married, you've arrived, right? Marriage, it's a good thing. It's God's design, but it's not the ultimate goal, right? So for some people, being single is really tough, and you just, if you're really honest, you don't want to be anymore. Um, for others, you're like, yeah, I'm content, I'm happy, I'm okay, right? In either scenario, know this, marriage will not complete you. Only Christ will. And so whether one day you get married, or if you never get married, your life will only be complete through knowing Jesus. And so if you, if you desire to be married, then let these truths impact your life right now. Think about what, what Paul says here to do, whether you're one day a potential wife or a potential husband, right? Let these words impact you now. Like, am I pursuing Jesus? Am I obeying him faithfully? Am I submitting my life joyfully and willingly to him? Am I allowing God to shape me into the kind of person that I would want to marry? Right? Because if you if we stand back, if you're, if you're single in the room and you're like, well, I want to marry, um, I'll just use the example of a guy, right? If you're like, you're a female in the room, and you're like, I want to marry a guy that loves Jesus and just like is a servant and helps people and is kind and generous, right? You pursue that yourself to be what you hope to find one day. Um, that's how you hopefully you will, can find that kind of person, right? If that's God's plan for your life. But whatever it is, allow God to work in you. Allow God to prepare you now for whatever he wants to do in your life. 
And you can trust him. You can trust God's plan in your life. He knows what's going on. His plan for you is good. God knows what he's doing in your life. So, married or not, we are called to submit to one another in the church, right? Paul says that in verse 21 here. Again, this is our context. And so, again, if you're single this morning, we are all called to submit to one another, to willingly come under someone else and say, I want to serve you. This chapter kind of gives us this picture of this husband and wife trying to outdo each other in love and humility. That's what the church should look like. So if you're single, the church is family. The church is where we function and use our gifts and show love and receive love and, and serve each other. So, whether you're married or not, Paul is calling us to submit to one another in the church and to love as family. Right? So, spirit-filled marriages, spirit-filled marriages show a picture of the gospel. There's probably a whole lot more there that I did not get to and did not answer, but we're going to move ahead this morning, uh, and we'll, we'll kind of circle back to a few things here as well. Right? So the second part, as Paul moves on, is spirit-filled parenting shows kids a picture of God. Now this segment has two parts. He starts by addressing children, and then he addresses fathers specifically. I would say it, it applies to mothers just as much, right? So if you are one of those in the room this morning, this applies, right? So what does he say to children? It's quite clear, right? Sometimes we read the Bible and we're like, what's he getting at here? This is quite clear. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. But what we need to see here is that the very fact that Paul even wrote this is completely revolutionary, right? First century, New Testament era, kids were like not really acknowledged, right? Kids were like, yeah, go over there, come back when you can work and earn some money or something. I don't know, but kids were not treasured. Kids were not, I mean, I'm sure parents loved their kids. They wanted kids, they knew, but kids were not, like, the center of attention. And so for Paul to even say, hey, children, like, imagine as the Ephesian church getting this letter, the kids are like, he said something to me, right? This is revolutionary that Paul is doing something here that would not have been common, that the kids, the kids get addressed. But what's Paul saying? He's showing a new families to live. He's saying, children, obey your parents to the Lord. This is, the, he says, this is right. And he takes it all the way back to the Ten Commandments. Where he says, hey, this is the first commandment that has a promise with it, that has a blessing, that it may go well with you in the land. Honor your father and mother. And so, Paul is writing to these kids, and he's saying, hey, even kids, this is what happens when you are learning to live a life filled by God's Spirit. Spirit-filled kids live in obedience to their parents. And Paul's showing us that we learn what obedience to God looks like. So kids, listen up. Right? If you are a kid, I don't know what that means in this room. You consider yourself a child of heart, whatever. Right? Kids, we learn to obey God by obeying parents. Right? Spirit-filled parenting shows kids a picture of God. So, it's not always easy, but when we learn to obey what parents have asked us to do, we are learning what it means to obey 
God. When you obey your parents, you're learning to obey God. Verses 2 and 3, again, he goes all the way back to the Old Testament. He says, hey, there's a promise with this. And the reality is that when you obey, God is telling us in his word, life will go better for you. This is a wise thing to do, to obey parents, right? Now, if you are, would not say, I'm not a kid, I'm not living under my parents' roof, or whatever it is, right? As adults, um, this command still applies, right? It might look a little different for us, but it's still true. To say, we can show honor and respect to our parents. Now, does that mean that our parents can call someone and be like, hey, you need to do this right now? Well, it depends on the situation. There may be times where we're like, um, actually live in my own house and this is not how, like, this is just not going to happen. That's okay, but there's a difference in like, it's like, okay, whatever they say, do it in honor and respect. We are called to show honor and respect to our parents. And the other part of that is knowing that sometimes our parents are not honoring God. They could care less. They don't want to. And parents are imperfect in those ways because humans are imperfect. And so ultimately we obey God, right? Ultimately, there, there are things that you may have a parent situation where you're just like, what does it mean for me to obey my parents and the Lord? They're not, they're not leading me towards Christ. Ultimately we obey God. But even in the midst of that, we learn to love them, to show them honor, to show them respect. And in the moment that it brings us into a realm of sin, we're living against what God has called us to do, yeah, we ultimately obey God, and we have to say, I have to choose to obey God. But I love you, and I respect you, right? So, children, obey your parents of the Lord, for this is right. He moves on to talk about parents. He addresses fathers specifically. He says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Bring them up for discipline and instruction of the Lord. What is he getting at here, right? Um, my own kids, sometimes I probably annoy them if I'm like telling bad dad jokes or doing something that's annoying them. Um, I probably shouldn't do that, but actually I don't think that's what Paul's getting at here, right? He's not like, don't just annoy your kids so they get ticked off at you. That's not the point. Paul's saying, I think it's way, way deeper than that. Because remember, spirit-filled parenting shows kids a picture of God. When we, as fathers or mothers, live in a way that turns our kids away from God, we are provoking them to anger towards us, but we're also provoking them to anger towards God. There's a lot of weight to that, right? When we parent out of our sinful nature, when our actions don't match our words, we can turn our kids off to the idea of God. If we are harsh, impatient, angry, and selfish. Maybe you know that very personally. Maybe your parents, your background is a situation that it's a miracle today that you know and love God because you are not shown the love of God through your parents. And so if, there's, it's, it's, if that's happening in, the, in a home, like God redeems even really hard things, right? But what Paul is calling fathers to do here is to show kids what it means to love Jesus. To show kids what God looks like, right? I am not God to my kids, right? That's not the point of what Paul's saying here. 
But our kids learn how to obey. They learn what God is like through the way we are the first picture of them, of God for them. Paul is saying, no, fathers, don't provoke your, provoke your kids to anger. Don't parent them in a way that makes them say, why would I want the faith that you have? Why would I want to follow the Lord Jesus? And if we are constantly ourselves bitter, angry, hateful, complaining, our kids will say, I don't know, if that's following Jesus, I don't really know if I want that. And we provoke them to anger deep in their hearts against us and against God. Spirit-filled parents show, picture, show kids a picture of God. So here's the deal. When you fail at that, humble yourself. Go to your kids. Ask forgiveness. You, can, you could go ask my kids. I do this. I know in those moments when I've said something that was harsh or I've said something that was unkind or whatever it was, but I have to go to them and say, I'm sorry. That should not have been the way that I treated you. It doesn't mean that it just allows us to just do that all the time. But what it does is it begins to show kids what God is like. It begins to show that God is loving, that God is patient, that God is kind, that God is interested in you and I, that he's good, that he's tender, that he's compassionate. Parents, when the Spirit is filling us, we can show our kids the nature of God through our lives. So, what if you don't have kids? Again, it goes back to this reality that Paul is writing to the whole church that the church is the family of God. So, if you don't have kids, my encouragement to you is invest in the kids of this church. Show them what a spirit-filled Christ follower looks like. Care for them. Take on the role of spiritual aunts and uncles. That's a good thing. And I would say for myself as a parent and probably the other parents in the room, we welcome that. We invite that because we need a whole church Showing each other and showing our kids, man, this is what it means to follow Jesus. It's not always perfect, but it's humble. And it's not always, like, amazing. It's, everything's not always wonderfully perfect, but there's love, and there's patience, and there's forgiveness, and there's kindness. So, if you don't have kids, you can help adopt the kids in this church and love them and show them what it means to follow Jesus. And I think in the same way, you know, it's maybe not as direct, but... In the same way that fathers and mothers can provoke their kids to anger, if kids go to a church where all they see is fakeness or hypocrisy, it's going to turn them off to loving and following Jesus. And so all of us have this role to say, you know what, my calling is to humbly submit myself to Jesus to follow him. And in that way, we join as a family leading our kids. All right, final, final thing here. Spirit-filled homes show Jesus to the people around us, that God has designed our lives as individuals, as families, and as churches to bring glory to him. Here's what I want to get to with all this. Why is Paul writing these things? Why is he doing this? What's the context here? It's the bigger context of the Ephesian believers living differently than the world around them. Like Paul is telling them this so that they live differently. He's saying, hey, you guys have come to know Christ. Your life is different. Your relationships are different. It's not just marriage and kids. He's already told them, like, you as the church are something different in the culture around you. There's unity. There's love. There's forgiveness. There's all these things because of the work of Jesus in your heart. So Paul is being very 
counter-cultural, right? Because the norm would have been to tell wives to submit and to obey no matter what, but the husband could do what he wants, right? Or the norm would have been, like, parents, treat your kids however you want, then they'll grow up tougher and stronger, whatever, right? But so Paul is showing the church a new way to live, a way where the husband loves and cherishes their wives, where wives joyfully and submit, joyfully submit to their husbands, children obey their parents, and fathers love and lead their kids. This was a new thing that Paul was trying to communicate to the Ephesian believers. He wants the church to be different than the world. And when the, when the church functions differently, people will notice. God wants to shape my life and your life. He wants to shape us to look more like Jesus. Go back to the very beginning of chapter 5, verse 1. He says, imitate him. And as we do, we look more like Jesus. And so we have to ask ourselves, do people see Jesus in our lives? Do they see Jesus in our homes? With whoever you live with. In our marriages, in our families, in our church. And it comes to this, this thing that Paul is trying to communicate. We need the Holy Spirit working in us. Quote that I read from a pastor named John Piper who said, Christian family life is a work of God's Spirit. And I would expand that to say again, whoever you live with, the people that you're around, those relationships, Christian family life is a work of God's Spirit. That our homes, and our church, and our lives can point people to Jesus, or they can point people away from Him. So when we embrace the identity as uh, our identity as God's people, full of the Holy Spirit, we show Jesus to the people around us. Because church, for better or worse, we are on mission. We are representing Jesus to the world. Our prayer is that we would represent to the world a picture of Jesus that is true and right. Because spirit-filled homes show Jesus to the people around us. As I close, and the worship team can come up and start. But maybe for you, as we think about all this, maybe the area of marriage or family is an area of great pain for you. Like maybe your own family is or was a mess. Or maybe you have experienced the pain of a marriage that didn't last. Or maybe all you know of family is something that is broken or twisted and painful. And here's the good news. In, in, even in the midst of that pain, there's good news that God's Grace invites us into a fresh start, even today. And if you're married this morning, if you're here and you're married, if there's tension and pain and struggle in your marriage, then begin the process of saying, God, we need you. Begin the process of healing, of honesty, of forgiveness. If you've dishonored or disobeyed your parents, then humble yourself and seek forgiveness. If you're struggling to trust God in the area of marriage or of children, like you want to be married or you're not and you're not, or you want kids but you don't have them, then tell God that today. Come to him and trust him. He's good. He knows what he's doing. He has not forgotten you. And he will always be enough for you no matter what your life situation looks like. So we talked about the beginning. Like God has given us an instruction here. But our, our nature is to push against that and to be centered on ourselves. And so maybe today you feel the selfishness in your heart. And you don't want it, but you feel it. You truly want to honor God. You truly want to love others, but you're struggling to be honest.
this. Tell God how you feel. Ask Him for help. Be honest about your sin because God is attracted to our need and our weakness. We look and see in this passage everything that's required, Jesus has done. Paul's not, Paul's not writing this and saying, like, hey, get yourselves into shape. He's saying, look what Jesus has done. He's shown us how to live. He fully submitted to the Father. He lovingly sacrificed himself for humanity. He lived in full obedience to God the Father. He is the perfect example of patience with us, his children. And the only reason we can have homes that glorify God is because Jesus has done the work for us. Jesus has done everything that we are unable to do, right? He perfectly lived up to God's standards. Not us, right? We sin, we fall short. So Jesus, out of love for you and I, gave his life on the cross to pay the debt of our sin. The debt that you and I owe. He gave himself up for us in order to sanctify us and to make us right with God. And not only that, three days later, he rose again as the final word against death and having victory over death. So that through Jesus, sin and death no longer have to define us. But instead, holiness and abundant life can define us. This is good news. That anyone who turns to Jesus in faith and repentance is welcomed into God's family, is forgiven, and is made new. Mr. Jesus and His Spirit filling our lives, we are able to live lives that honor Him. So today, in the quiet of your own heart, look to Jesus. Confess your need for Him. Come to Him with humility, knowing that unless He's working in you, will never be able to live a life that honors And whatever your home situation is, tell God today how much you need them. Because my prayer for us as Renaissance is that we would embrace the mission that God is calling us to in our church, in our lives, and in our homes. We would represent Jesus to the world. We would show Jesus, show, show Jesus to the people around us. That as God shapes us and forms us, that the gospel would also just spill out of our lives as we interact with the people around us. His spirit-filled hopes show Jesus to the people around us. As the service ends in a little while, in a little while, I think I'll pray with you. We can talk. We have questions. We want to talk more about this. We would love to talk with you. Let's pray together this morning. We're going to continue. God, we thank you for your word. God, I pray that we would seek for our lives to be submitted to you. God, that your spirit would fill us God, as we confess sin, as we deal with things in our lives that aren't right. Your spirit comes and fills us, God, and we need the fruit of your spirit evident in our life. God, I pray that in the marriages within Renaissance, we can love and honor you through those things, God. And as husbands and wives, that we would show love and grace and patience. The people would see Jesus through our marriages. I pray for the families here, the kids and parents, God, that 
this would be a place where kids are learning to love and follow Jesus, learning the goodness of God. For each of us, we would allow your spirit to mold us and shape us to be more like Jesus. God, we look to you this morning. Our hearts be filled with worship. God, we are people in need of you. We're so thankful, God, that you freely say, come to me. Pray this in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the sermon from Renaissance Church. If you have any questions about the sermon or would like to know more, please feel free to contact us by email at renaissance.mtl.gmail.com or reach out to us on social media. It's our passion to love Jesus, love each other, and love our world.